All right. Well, good morning, everyone. I, uh, when Beth was sharing um, her story, um, one of the things she didn't mention was that she had given up singing completely um, because she felt like she could no longer do that as part of, of what had happened in her life. And so now to see her up front on Sunday mornings worshiping, it just makes my heart really feel good. It's, I, I love how God does that in our lives, how he renews and restores things. And it is part of this whole series that we're talking about. We're doing a series, we started this last week, we're calling On Purpose and the Lies That We Believe. And the reason why we're doing this series is because back on Easter Sunday, we did this survey asking you, what messages would you like to hear us preach over the next several months? And the number one overwhelming topic that was chosen was this topic of purpose. How do I discover my purpose? And so that's what the series is about. And we look at this passage in Judges chapter 6, starting last week. And so if you would, turn over there, Judges chapter 6. It's in the beginning part of your Bible in the Old Testament. Judges 6, you can also follow along on the screen, starting in verse 1. It says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming from with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. You must not worship um, the gods of the Amorites, but you have not listened to me. Sorry. You, um, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom with a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. You know, I've been thinking about that. I've been reading this verse, these verses here for the last several weeks. And I just think there's something inside of every one of us that wants to be a hero. When you think about that, I think every one of us can remember a time, maybe when you were a little kid, where you wanted to be Superman, or you wanted to be Wonder Woman, or the $6 million man, or the bionic woman, or Batman, or Spider-Man, and now we have a whole new generation of X-Men and Transformers, Green Lantern, Captain America, and all the Avengers. And when you think about it, Hollywood really has capitalized on these emotions, and it produced some of the highest grossing movies of all time from these superhero characters. And I think the reason for this is because I think it's true. I think there's something inside of every one of us that wants to be able to swoop in and save the day. Are any of you Spider-Man fans out there? Any of you Spider-Man fans? The new one just came out this summer, the summer Spider-Man Homecoming. But back in the early 2000s, there was a movie, Spider-Man 2. And in this movie, Spider-Man kind of has a crisis, or Peter Parker has this crisis. 
and he begins to wonder if whether or not he's actually making a difference. As a matter of fact, he thinks he's doing more harm than good, and he's over at his Aunt May's house, and Aunt May's talking to him about little Henry Jackson, who says he wants to be just like Spider-Man. And I love what Aunt May tells Peter Parker in his crisis. I have a clip of this movie here. I want you to put your attention to the screen. Let's watch this. You'll never guess who he wants to be. <laughs> Spider-Man. Why? Well, he knows a hero when he sees one. Too few characters out there flying around like that, saving old girls like me. And Lord knows kids like Henry need a hero. Courageous, self-sacrificing people, setting examples for all of us. Everybody loves a hero. People line up for them, cheer them, scream their names, and years later they'll tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught him to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride, even though sometimes we have to be steady and, and give up the thing we want the most even our dreams. Spider-Man did that for Henry, and he wonders where he's gone. He needs him. Do you think you could lift that desk and put it into the garage for me? But don't strain yourself. Okay. Isn't that great? But I think it's true. I mean, don't you? I think it's true. I think there's that. I think God's put something inside of every one of us that has this knowing that we were created for more than what we're currently experiencing. In the book of Jude, which is toward the back of your Bible, a little book, one chapter long, right before the book of Revelation, starting in verse 20, it says this It says, But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Now notice these different words that the King James uses here in these verses. Have compassion, making a difference, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. It sounds to me like these are descriptions of a hero, doesn't it? And these are the things that we are all called to do. Listen, folks, you were created for something amazing. According to the Gallup poll, um, more than three-fourths of all adults want to be able to make a difference. Over three-fourths of all adults want to be able to make a difference in this world. In other words, they want to live their lives in such a way that there's a lasting impact that they leave on this world. But that same poll identified that more than one half of all adults admit that they're still seeking to try to find what the meaning and the ultimate purpose of their lives actually is. In other words, they're holding on to this hope that someday... Someday in the future, somehow, some way, that they'll experience the reality of making a difference. Now, 
Isn't that an interesting discovery from a poll? Because almost all of us want to make a difference. Almost all of us want to live, leave some sort of lasting impact on this world. Almost all of us want to be a hero, but most of us don't have a clue how to do that. Most of us don't know the purpose that God has put inside us, the purpose that will give you that ultimate life, genuine fulfillment, that, will, that, that purpose that will enable you to make a difference. Most of us don't know how to do it. But I think it's important for you to know that when you were born, God infused inside of you so much. And one of the things he infused in every single one of us is this purpose that goes beyond ourselves to actually make a difference. And this purpose that he wants us to embrace. And I think this is the essence of what the angel was trying to help Gideon see and realize. Again, Judges 6 verse 12 says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I said this last week if you were here that I can guarantee you that Gideon did not feel like a hero. He was hiding out in this wine press from the Midianites. He was just trying to disappear. He didn't want to ruffle people's feathers. He was just trying to have some sort of sustenance and, and just kind of get by. This is what was going on with him. And so he didn't know what his purpose was. There was nothing about his life that was making a difference. And here, I think, is where our lives and Gideon's life intersects. Because I believe that for most of us, there is this yearning for a deeper sense of purpose and significance for our lives. I believe that we want to discover the one thing that God has created for us to do. And I believe that we long to feel that we want to be important. We want to be important in this world. We want to do the things that God has called us to do. We want our lives to count. But what I've learned over the years is that there are some major lies that can take us off of the path of discovering and fulfilling our purpose. When I was growing up, I lived in Colorado. And one of the things I loved to do in Colorado was to go to the mountains. Any of you been to the Rocky Mountains in Colorado before? It's, there's, there's, really, there's nothing like I love the hill country so much. One of the reasons why I love the hill country so much because it reminds me of the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. We just don't have the 14ers behind here, but it reminds me of home. It reminds me of how I grew up. One of the things I loved about hiking in the Rocky Mountains was the smell of pine. You know, as you'd walk through the mountains and the crisp, clear air that you would feel on your skin and and wading through those ice-cold streams. I mean, there's just nothing like it. It's so invigorating. It's so refreshing. But one of the dangers of hiking in the Rocky Mountains is completely losing your bearings. Because in all of the ups and downs and boulders and all the trees there, it's easy to get lost. And all of a sudden, you're just kind of going in circles. You lose where you've come from, and you have no idea where you're going because you don't know where you are. Have you ever heard the phrase that you can't see the forest for the trees? You heard that before? It's, it's this idea that you get so involved with what's right in front of you that you can't see the bigger picture. And that's exactly what happens when you're hiking in the Rocky Mountains. You can get so absorbed in where you're hiking and going up and down the rocks and the boulders and all these trees that you're in that you completely lose perspective of where you're going. And as a result, a lot of people get lost in the mountains. Well, you know, I think it's true for our lives as well. We can get so absorbed in the trees of our daily lives that we lose the bigger picture of what is going on. 
And as a result of all these trees in our lives, I think one of the major lies that keep us from discovering and pursuing our purpose is the thinking that my purpose and my calling is connected to my job. In other words, if I just find the right job, if I just find the right position, then that's when I'll finally be able to fulfill my purpose and my calling. And one of the reasons why this way of thinking will cause you to get lost in the trees of the forest of your purpose is that your purpose and calling would then be left and limited to the extent of your work. Now think about that. If your purpose, if how you see your purpose and calling is that it's tied to your job or your position, then it becomes limited to the extent of that work. And so a typical job, you work maybe 40 to 50 hours or maybe a little bit more. Or if, you're, if, that, if that is your purpose and you're fulfilling your purpose 40 to 50 hours a week, or if, you're, if, you're, if your purpose is to fulfill a position, let's say, as a, um, a big kids teacher here on Sunday, then that would mean that your purpose is then limited to only two hours a week. And so the question becomes, what happens with the rest of the hours of my week? I mean, does that mean that those hours don't count? That those hours that I'm not at my job, that those don't count towards my purpose? That, 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 does that mean that somehow there's this tension, this split between the mundane and the sacred? Second, if finding your purpose and calling is tied to finding the right job or position, then number two, this puts your purpose and calling in the hands of another person. I think about it this way. Let's say you, came, you come to me and you're applying for a job position here at this church. And in your interview, let's say that you're in the conversation with me, you say that you feel called to this position at the church. Well, if you think that your purpose and calling is to this position at the church, then what that does is that puts me in the position of being your gatekeeper to the fulfillment of your purpose. And so that means if I, if I have the power to give you your calling by offering you this job, then I also have the power of taking that away from you. He goes, I don't think that makes sense. I don't think that's how our purpose works. Because how can God ask you to fulfill your purpose if, if fulfilling your purpose is outside of something that you have control of or influence over? That's why I think it's so important for us to understand that our purpose is not determined by the mood or the opinions of authorities over us. Your purpose and your calling is not dependent upon the job market around us. Your purpose and your calling is not dependent upon the current economic situation that we experience. I've heard way too many people use these circumstances as excuses for living limited, unfulfilled, purposeless lives. And then thirdly, if finding your purpose and calling is tied to finding the right job or position, then that means your purpose and calling is defined by a list of functions and tasks. Again, I want you to think about that. Because how could the weight of your life be determined and defined by a list of functions and tasks? Because here's the thing. I think for most of us, when we get into a job, for most job situations, you kind, of get in, you kind of get into a place where you can just get the job done. You know how to do it. You can do it in your sleep. You can do it with your eyes closed. You know, you kind of turn off your brain and you just go through the motions of doing that. Or another way to say it is that you can do the job half-heartedly. But think about it when we're talking about purpose. Because is it possible for you to pursue your purpose and your calling half-heartedly? 
I don't think so. I don't think it's, imp- it's possible at all to just go through life half-heartedly and you accomplish your purpose. I don't think you can just go through, the, through life and just show up. And as a result, your purpose and your calling is fulfilled because I think your purpose and your calling requires all of you. I think your purpose and require and purpose and calling requires a wholeheartedness. I think your purpose and uh, your calling requires you to stretch beyond what you think you can do or achieve. It requires faith on your part to be able to accomplish it. Theodore Roosevelt said it this way. He said, it's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. See, I think it's true. I think your purpose is going to require all of you. I think your purpose is going to require risk. I think your purpose is going to require faith. It's going to require a wholeheartedness because a life lived in half-heartedness and fear is a life lived without purpose. And so I think we need to be able to step back and realize that our purpose and our calling can't ever be contained and fulfilled by any job or position. And so we need to stop the lies that are going on in our head that says, if I just get this job, if I just had this position, then I would be able to fulfill my purpose. That's a lie that we need to take out of the equation as God's trying to show us and help us discover what our purpose actually is. And so I think if we're ever going to truly discover the essence of our purpose, I think it requires we first have to rise above the trees of the forest of our lives and be able to see the big picture so that we can look down and see what God has done in my life, what he is doing, so I have a better advantage point for where it looks like he's leading me. I love this quote from Elton Trueblood, who was the former chaplain to both Harvard and Stanford universities. He wrote this. He said, a man has made at least a start on discovering the meaning of human life when he plants shade trees under which he knows full well he will never sit. It's a really simple statement, but I love it because he's talking about this idea of rising above the trees of your own life and seeing this bigger picture. And I think one of the best ways for you to rise above the trees of your life is through proactive reflection. Let me say that again in case you missed it. For me, I think one of the best ways to rise above the trees of your everyday life is to do proactive reflection. It's a spiritual discipline of proactive reflection. Counselor and author Richard Leiter, he surveyed um, senior citizens over a 25-year span and, and how they, and they asking the question how they would live their lives differently. And across the board, these senior citizens said exactly the same thing. He writes this. He says, first, they say that if they could live their lives over again, they would be more reflective. They got so caught up in the doing, they they lost sight of the meaning. Second, they would take more risks. 
Almost all of them said that they felt most alive when they took risks. Third, they would understand what really gave them fulfillment was doing something that contributes to life, adding value to life beyond yourself. This is the essence of what we're talking about here this morning, and it reminds me, these responses that these senior citizens had, it reminds me of Moses' prayer in Psalms 90, verse 12, which says, Teach us, O God, how short our lives really are, so that we may be wise. I think that needs to be a prayer for everyone. God, teach me. Teach me how short my life is. Because here's the, here's the thing. We go through life thinking that we have forever to figure things out. But our lives are just this short. Come on, everybody knows that, right? It just gets, seems like every year just gets shorter and shorter and shorter the longer that we live. And so I love Moses' prayer here. God, teach me, show me, reveal to me, give me the revelation of how short my life actually is so I can live it better, so I can live it purposefully. And here's the thing, folks. We need to understand there is a direction, there is a theme, there's an orchestration, and even an order to your life that you need to be able to stop to see, to recognize and understand if you're ever going to truly discover and walk in the purpose that God has for your life. And that's why it's so important for us to periodically disengage from the busyness of our lives and to be able to stop, examine our lives, and to proactively reflect on what God has done in my life, to look for him, to look for him in my past. What has he been doing to see what he's doing right now so I have a better idea of how he's moving me forward here in the future? I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. He said it this way. He says, looking back, we see the presence of an amazing design, which if we are born of God, we will credit to God. We can all see God in exceptional things, but it requires the culture of spiritual discipline to see God in every detail. Never allow that, hap, allow that the haphazard is anything less than God's appointed order and be ready to discover the divine design anywhere. See what he's saying? He's talking about this proactive reflection, looking back and seeing God's hand, his handiwork there in our lives. When I was in college, I think this was the first time that I actually did this. Not because I was ever taught it, by the way, but the Holy Spirit spoke it into my heart. I was sitting... Um, my last year in college, and, and I was sitting in a church service on a Sunday night, and I don't know why I was there, and I know the church was church on the move in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, but it wasn't the normal pastor. It wasn't Willie George. It was a special speaker that was there. I have no idea what he said or what he spoke on, but he referenced Ephesians 5, 17, which says, don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. And for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit took that scripture and grabbed a hold of my heart. Then I felt compelled to take out my notebook. And I created kind of a two-column thing on my page. On my, on my, on my page. And on the left-hand side, I began to write down the things that I felt like were important when I entered into college. The things that were valued, things that I was passionate about. The things that I thought I was going to do with my life. And I began to write them on the left-hand side of that, of that page. And then on the right-hand side, in another column, I began to write down all the things that were new, all the things that had increased, all the things that I had never really thought about since entering college, those things that now presented themselves. And as I was writing these things, I began to realize the things in the left-hand column were all these biases and prejudices and predetermined thoughts that I had about my life. And what I realized is that I had been in these years in college that this list on the left-hand left column had begun to decrease in importance in my life. 
But what had been increasing were these new things that I hadn't even ever considered before. And all of a sudden, I was seeing them in a different light. And as I was looking through this, I felt the Spirit of God speak this to me. How do you want to invest your life? Within the question of, for me specifically, was, will you invest the rest of your life expanding my kingdom in areas that I will send you to? His wording was really important for me because I was one of those who thought that pastors were people who couldn't do anything else with their lives. My view of pastors, ministry, and church was really, really bad. And so there was absolutely no way if somebody had asked me, you want to go and be a pastor, you want to go be working in church? The answer was absolutely no. Because I grew up in a culture and in a city and where churches, where pastors were just a bunch of um, I better not fill that line in, but it was nothing positive. It was nothing positive. And so I just could not ever see myself in that role or that position. But God didn't ask me to be a pastor. He didn't ask me to lead a church. He asked me, will you invest the rest of your life in expanding my kingdom in areas that I will send you? Well, when I was looking at my piece of paper, I was realizing these other things that I thought were important coming into college, they were no longer there. But these things, and as I began to see God's handiwork and the details, I began to realize this was increasing. And so at that point, it was easy for me to say yes. Two weeks later, I get a letter, an airmail letter. That's when before emails and and stuff like that was there. I got an email, uh, an airmail letter, those really thin pieces of paper, you know, that we should do internationally. Um, from a pastor in Germany that I'd met a couple years, years earlier asking if I would prayerfully consider coming on staff of his church in Germany. There's a whole bunch of details here that make this a, a really incredible story, but my point is, is that I think it takes these moments where you rise out of the trees of your life and you look. And I understand that so often in life, you're so much in the forest. The trees are just so right there. But I guarantee you, God will bring you places of landing where the trees are less. And you're able, kind of like in a mountain view, you're kind of able to look. And there's not so many trees. You're able to look back to see where you've come from. And if you'll look, like Oswald Chambers says, you'll see God's handiwork in his hand in all these different things leading you to this point. And you'll begin to see clear what's happening right here in this moment where your life is, which will then give you the vantage point of seeing where God has taken you. That's what I'm talking about here, that we need to take these moments, and when you do that, you'll begin to see clear what your, what your purpose is. And one of the things when you're doing this is that you need to understand how God is and how he works. Because almost always, almost always, God discloses his plans and purposes little by little and piece by piece. Now, I wish I could tell you that he would just download you everything that you would need to know for the rest of your life. But he doesn't do that. And one of the major reasons for this is because God hides his full purpose and his plans from natural people and from the devil. It's really important that you understand the nature of God here because God hides his will from natural people and from the devil. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom underlying that, the hidden wisdom which God ordained from the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. 
For had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Do you see what he's talking about here? See, if, if God would have told exactly in the Bible through prophetic things and through the writing down of scriptures, if he would have told exactly when and where Jesus was going to be born, exactly what Jesus was going to do and accomplish, the devil would have been right there, right from the beginning, to kill the baby and to kill and stop everything that Jesus tried to do. But the devil didn't know it. The devil didn't know God's full plan. And so as a result, he played right into the hands of God. Think about it. By crucifying Jesus, the devil saved the world. Isn't that, it's just an amazing thing. I love the strategy of God here because the devil just worked right into God's plan. There were demon spirits that were behind the mob, causing the mob to say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But what the demon spirits did understand is they were actually putting the nails in their own coffin. I love this about God, which means this. If the devil knew in advance of what God wanted to do in and through your life, he would try to stop you at every moment. He would try to stop you from being able to do what you were called to do. But the devil doesn't know it. God hides his will for your life from natural people and from the devil so the enemy can't see ahead of time what God has planned. That's why, contrary to how you might think and how you might feel, God is not trying to make it hard on you to discover your purpose. God's not playing this cat and mouse game with you. No, God is hiding his purposes for your life from the devil. It's for your good. And I can tell you, I used to hate this because I'm one of, the, one of those that I want to know everything in advance. Anybody else out there? I just, I, I, I tell you that just honestly. I'm not the most patient of people. I want to get things done. I don't like to wait. I don't like to have to search for things. But what I've come to discover and what I've come to embrace is how amazing this actually is. Because the devil, since the devil got majorly burned by what he did to Jesus, that devil now is always kind of worried that the attack that he might put on your life may actually backfire on him just like it did with Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen to that one. You should love that, this aspect of God. God's hiding his purpose and his plans from natural people and from the devil. He's hiding the good stuff. He's hiding the good stuff. But look in verse 9. It says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Well, a lot of times we just stop there and we think, oh, well, then how am I going to know? How am I ever going to figure out what I'm supposed to do with life? But you, don't, you haven't finished the verses. Verse 10 says, but God has revealed them to who? He reveals them to us by his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Listen, God wants to reveal his will and his purposes for your life. He wants to show you these things that are to come, and he wants to show you them little by little, piece by piece. This is how he works, and that's why it's so imperative, so important for us to cultivate the spiritual discipline of proactive reflection, where you stop you look, you listen, just as if you were hiking in the mountains or here in the kill country. You come to a landing place and you look back and you see where you've come. 
You look for God's handiwork, his hands, his fingers, his orchestration. You look at that and what he's done in your life, and you see where you are now. You see what it is that God's stirring in your heart, and that will begin to show you the next pieces that have to deal with your purpose and your calling. That's when you'll be able to see God's choreography in your life. We're going to take communion here as we end here this morning. But before we do it, I want to ask you just to close your eyes, if you would, please. Because maybe, as we've been talking here this morning, maybe you're realizing that maybe you're one of those that's gotten totally lost in the trees of your life. And you've completely lost your bearings. You've just been going through the motions of life, totally consumed with what's right in front of you. You're like Gideon. You're in that wine press, and you're hiding out, and you're just trying to get by. But maybe this morning... You're feeling maybe even a stirring in your heart. Maybe even faith is beginning to rise. Possibility, hope is beginning to rise. And you can tell that God's wanting to show you some things little by little, piece by piece. God's wanting to show you some of his purposes and plans for your life. And so I want to encourage you. And I want to push you just a little bit here as your pastor that maybe even today, as you leave service here in the morning, that that maybe even today that you go to the park or you go down by the lake or a spot on your property where you can just get alone and take a notepad and then just start writing down what you've seen God do in your life to this point. Write down those things that you feel have been increasing in your life. And write down those things that you feel like have been decreasing. Write down those desires that are in your heart and, and see if God will begin to show you another piece, another one of those little by little, piece by piece things of your purpose and your calling. If it, I would just kind of lead you in praying here this morning. And so I want you to just pray this out loud after me. Say this, say, God, I want to be a part of your reality. I want to be a part of this adventure that you have for my life. And so I ask that you would give me the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation so that I will know you better. And I ask that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened in order that I might know the hope to which you have called me that I might know the riches of the glorious inheritance that you have for me and that I might know your incomparably great power that you have for me, that I might know the plans and the purposes that you have for my life. And so, God, I ask that you would give me eyes to not just see but to perceive your reality. And I ask that you would give me ears to not just hear, but to actually understand what you're doing in my life. Father, I thank you that your plans and your purposes for my life are good. And I want to walk fully in all that you have for my life. Thank you 
for involving me in your reality. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible describes for us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. This is what we are here. The Bible describes as often as we gather, do this in remembrance. It puts our focus, just as we worship, it changes our focus off of ourselves and off of him. It's because of Jesus that you can hear God's voice. It's because of what Jesus did that you can know God's will for your life. This, he is that door for us that we are able to experience each for ourselves. How we're going to do this, there's two tables in front of each of the two sections here in the sanctuary. And we'll start with the front row and we'll exit. You'll exit on your right and circle around and take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, then go back into the left-hand side of your of your row. And then if you'll just take this moment and right where you are, begin this conversation with God and what it is that he might have for your life. Let's do it. have them up here, but as we're going through this series on purpose, I am praying for you that this is not just a Sunday, that these aren't just messages that go through one ear and out the other, because like I said before, a life lived half-heartedly and in fear is a life lived without purpose. And you need to understand God has put a purpose inside of you and doesn't make a difference how young or how old you are or what you've seen or experienced in the past. There's a purpose for right now that God has for you. And even what how Beth described it in her own life, you may feel like you have aborted that purpose because of things that have happened in your past. But you need to know that God has something right here for you, there's something new, there's something fresh. And you may feel stuck, you may feel like you don't know what you're supposed to do. And that's why these men and women are here. They'll be here at the end of the service, they'll just linger here. And I wanna encourage you to take that opportunity to, to pray with somebody. Let somebody pray with you. Sometimes we don't have the faith to pray for ourselves. And so we need somebody to come along inside of us. Also, as you heard Logan say, this is group Sunday, it's a little crazy out there. But you need to understand, we're doing this for a purpose. It is a value that we want you to connect, not just come to church, not just to spectate, but actually connect. And I honestly don't care what group you get into. I hope you all go to Catalyst. At some point, at some time, that is our desire that every one of you will go through Catalyst. We want you to go through Financial Peace University. But we also want you to be a part of these parenting groups and these ladies groups and these men's groups and all these different things. I just want you to find community. I don't want you to do it by yourself. God never intended for us to live this life by ourselves. And so this is just a little fun thing. <laughs> As you leave, the usher's going to put this in your hand. And this whole purpose is just to make it a little fun. We will next week, we will do a drawing and somebody will get $100 worth of a dinner and going out to a movie. It's more than what you can do by yourself. And that's a reason we want you to take somebody with you. Community. We could have given you any gift. We wanted you to do something where you can do it with other people. You'll get one of these. Go up there, say hi to some of the group leaders, be introduced. All right. Let me pray over you as you get ready to go here this morning. 
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great day.